Welcome. You're listening to Value Add with Lars Coburn, bringing conversations and reflections that add value to your life. Well, everyone, it's so good to be with you, uh, to be able to share some insights, some things that add value to my life, and hopefully through uh, these reflections and opportunities, they add value to yours. This podcast is an exciting one because I get to interview and and talk to some of my mentors, kind of have them all in the same room at the same time. I got into ministry, oh man, over eight years ago, uh, directing a youth rally in Eugene. And when I set up to direct it, I called my dad um, and a guy named Greg, who both had done their master's degree together, and I said, I want you guys... Uh, to come speak at the youth rally and be the keynote speakers. So it was really exciting and lots of fun. And uh, now, almost eight years later, uh, I'm sitting down with them and talking about preaching because I've been doing preaching now for uh, over six years of my part-time youth ministry and my full-time ministry positions. And these guys have been voices that I reflect on different habits of preaching, what makes good preaching, those kind of things. So uh, while the podcast here is on things that add value to your life, uh, these are some mentors in my life that have added value. And I hope that uh, just listening to us share some things about preaching, something that's close to our hearts, um, you'll be encouraged to go find those mentors, those people in your life who continue to speak into it and who give you the space to also be someone who speaks into their life. Uh, Because you see, I think the beauty of the four guys in the room, the three other guys and myself, is that uh, I'm young and uh, they're kind of all older than me. One's my dad, and yet they all give me the space and the privilege uh, to speak back into their lives and they have spoken into mine. Um, And I think that's important. Obviously, I I wasn't able to record all of the conversations that continued after that at lunch, but it was a rich time and a rich experience. So I hope you're blessed by this podcast. We start off with some introductions and some stuff about preaching in general, and then we move into uh, kind of a rapid fire round, like 20 minutes, uh, 20 ideas in 20 minutes. So I hope you're blessed. Right, it's another episode of Value Add, and we're in Corvallis, Oregon. And uh, Corvallis is known for the uni- uh, the Oregon State University um, beavers. And I have two beavers, and there are two ducks in the room. So we're balanced. It's like the Civil War, right, guys? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. so uh, let's go in a, in a circle here. Um, there's obviously me, Lars, and Greg's off to my left. So, Greg, tell us a little bit about yourself, just, you know, the 30-second bio. Sure. Uh, Became serious about Christianity and discipleship uh, in my mid-20s, even though I had some early church experience. Um, Been on staff here since 1981. I'll let you do the math. That's a lot of years. And so those are a couple of the things that I bring to my insights about uh, Christian walk and uh, preaching. Yeah. And I got to know you because you were longtime family friends of my dad, who's also on the podcast. You've been on before, but you can say whatever you want to say. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm your dad. And uh, <laughs> that'll so never change. That's why I'm on the podcast, I think. But uh, I've been in formal ministry, uh, but always involved in teaching and uh, somehow working with staff. 
and uh, I had the blessing of going through the Pepperdine Masters in Ministry program with Greg, and uh, that was a real, real blessing, real impacted me, and I probably used it uh, in the church and out of the church, a lot of the things that we learned there, um, and maybe more out of the church anyway than some of the things we, we've done. Um, is that enough? Yeah, that's great. That's who I am. Okay, and then, um, I don't know, let's see, how do I want to introduce Jason? Let's see, I'll, I'll probably say a lot about Jason at the beginning of my introduction to the podcast, but, hmm, let's see, I was talking to Jeremiah, we met in 2009, I think we, we added it up, right? Was that your first year here in Corvallis, or? Mm, my first year was 2008. 2008, okay, so we met then, like, after your first year yep. being here, and uh, you're the campus minister, and a lot else you do a lot around here. But All kinds of cool things. You're going on a trip? Yeah, so uh, we're going to do a spring break mission trip. It's our 10th year going down to the Bay Area Rescue Mission. We're going to spend time down there for uh, all week, and we get to engage with the, the people down there that are in the mission that want to go out of homelessness into back into society. And so we get to work with them and do some projects and stuff. And then we get to teach Bible to the kids, kind of like a vacation Bible school type thing every night, which is really good. Yeah. And uh, we'll just leave the mysterious story of how Jason saved my life and yeah. all sorts of things So uh, for, a, for another time. But um, I have a lot of fond memories of driving through the rain uh, to Corvallis and, uh, and hanging out at the UCC and um, having Greg come down and speak at a youth rally um, with my dad as the other speaker and Jason and I kind of doing worship and campus ministry and college stuff and paintball and crazy things like that. So uh, this is just fun to be together um, to talk about things that are really close to all of our hearts as we get to, to preach. But before we get into the 20 minutes and or 20 ideas in 20 minutes, um, I just wanted to kind of get your guys's thoughts on what uh, what does it mean to be a minister uh, of the word what does it mean to be um, you know a Christian minister we're in we're all kind of connected to the restoration movement the churches of Christ um, so you can think it's that specific but but even maybe broader than that um, so we'll just kick it open we will go in reverse reverse order so Swift you get to talk Impromptu. Yeah. On. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I love the idea in the phrase minister of the word. Uh, that's a phrase that I know. The first, my first experience with that is actually with Greg um, saying he was a minister of the word. Not just a preacher, not just a teacher, not just a minister, but a minister of the word. And I love that, that thought because we are here to bring the word into people's lives and engage with people that way. So part of it, and we'll talk about preaching, but another part of it is just being in the presence of people and uh, being the, the hands, the feet, and the words uh, of God to people. So that can be, uh, Greg has mentored me in going to, to hospitals and visiting with people and just bringing, bringing a word and a prayer to people so that they know that God is present uh, with them through that situation. And then walking with people and empowering them in uh, the things that they feel led by God to do in terms of ministries or in terms of life decisions 
you know, bringing bringing the awareness that God is walking with them. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thanks. So what does it mean to be a minister of the Word? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I th- <clears throat> for me, I think about the challenge is, uh, you know, I'm a thinker type person. I, I think I've shared with you before about that. Uh, sometimes you think your way into a better way of acting. Sometimes you act your way into a better way of thinking. Uh, I don't know that it's one or the other. But I, I think with our heritage, too, in the restoration movement, um, you know, there's a big dose back there of uh, uh, logic, age of reason, uh, apply your mind, think about it. And so my, my approach typically in preaching as a young person was when I would get asked to speak um, was to explain. Here's, here's the text, and let me explain it. I'll, I'll explain it so you understand it. But I've, I've come, really come to appreciate in the last few years that um, the, the goal of, of ministry, being a minister of the Word is to let the Word come to people. Maybe they still don't understand it when they're done, but if they're moved by it, if they receive a Word uh, from God, uh, that's the challenge. That, that's really what we should be about. And that's harder for me because I, I like to explain things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that we as um, we think about a ministry of presence, a ministry of um, explanation as being kind of uh, mutually ex- exclusive, but sometimes the best understanding can come through a ministry of presence. Uh, I think we talk about living the word out in our own lives first, um, and that that becomes that way. I, I I think of one of the few times that. I got to be at Circle on a Sunday morning um, just because I was so involved at at church in Eugene um, was, uh, you know, I was just kind of, Greg got done preaching and then you, you were over there and we were singing the invitation song and you were on your knees um, beside a pew in the, in the aisleway. And I wouldn't describe uh, Circle as being a very charismatic, uh, you know, spirit filled kind of holy roller on the floor. And it wasn't, you know, in your face, it wasn't, uh, it was done in a really nice way, uh, appropriate way, I should say, but it was just like, this affected Greg as much as it affected any of the rest of us, and he was the one preaching, you know, so, um, so anyway, I'm, I'm taking your, your sure. time, Greg, but, um, but I just was reminded of that, kind yeah. of, you explained the text, but actually, you lived it first, and that's actually what brought almost more of an explanation to me, mm-hmm. um, in that kind of balance of ministry of presence and explanation. Sure. So it's interesting, you know, back when I first got a business card made, I said, what title am I going to put on this thing? And I chose Minister of the Word. And one of the reasons I chose Minister of the Word was because for me it was kind of a veiled way to say servant of the Lord. Mm. And so that for me was an important aspect because uh, in my early shaping uh, some of the folks who mentored me, they would time and again really talk about the essence of being a Christian disciple is to be a servant. That that really is imitation of Christ. And so in some ways, this notion of being a servant comes, well, not as second nature behaviorally, but second nature in terms of shaping. So minister of the word for me is servant of the Lord. And so part of what that does is uh, really um, point me in the direction of a a ministry which is 
preaching is a component of how I communicate the Word of God mm. to people. And I think the other good thing about that is uh, a servant by nature is trying to choose the path of humility. And I think that for some folks, preaching can become a path to self-aggrandizement mm -hmm. or notoriety. And if those things happen and it's the will of God, praise be to God. But at the same time, if that's a primary motivator, I think it can really get in the way of the word being heard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's super. Um, I just did a, some podcasts on humility and thinking about um, kind of that idea that we, we almost so, so few of the times we see true humility mm -hmm. and, um, and some of the things where people seem to be saying, well, I'm a humble person and being in ministry pay isn't the best. Um, the hours are kind of crazy. The, the lifestyle is, is specific. And, uh, and so sometimes that can almost become a false cloak of humility. Like, look at me, I chose the lowly mm. job of being a, a pastor or being a minister and uh, and then that almost becomes something they wear as a badge of, of honor um, that can be kind of goes to your head I think at, at times too and so balancing that false humility and, and true humility is kind of something hard uh, so the moment we start talking about humility I feel like it escapes us <laughs> um, and uh, so I before we you know transition I, I I did these as kind of impromptu questions for you guys just to kind of get us uh, going and I enjoy kind of putting people on the spot and, and seeing because some of the best stuff comes through that. Sure. Um, and, and if I'm really honest, I, I do it in partly because I believe the spirit speaks best to us when we're gathered together. Mm -hmm. And if, if all the prep and all the focus comes individually, then um, we're not exactly necessarily having the spirit just kind of come through us and, and build through uh, the things that we think of as we hear each other go. And I, I think that is especially something difficult for me to let the Spirit inform my preaching and, uh, and allow my preaching um, to be to craft and informed by the Spirit. Um, so this next one, um, I'm, I'm trying to find the exact way I want to phrase it, but uh, as you think about your preaching over the years, so I've, uh, let's see, I don't remember when I preached my first sermon, probably 12, 13 years old. I haven't been preaching as weekly like you, Greg, um, or as often uh, throughout the years, or, you know, haven't been in full-time ministry as long. Um, but, you know, I can think about how my preaching has changed um, over the past six years of kind of being involved in ministry and, and preaching on occasion at the three churches that I've I've served at least at part-time or, or full-time ministry at, and um, and it's quite you know quite stark I would say. Um, so I'll just kind of my example of, of preaching is that I used to uh, do a very very brief outline, a very brief maybe you know a, a title, um, a, you know the name of a story. Here's the text, and then you know the three points of the text. Uh, that I might be saying and then a closing thought or story and then I would just uh, Maybe I would record it or maybe I would just go into a, a room or I'd go into the auditorium If I was at a church building you know late and I would just work through the sermon audibly um, in the in the space and I would work out my stories I'd work out kind of my points flesh them out 
And unfortunately, I think most of my sermons were way too long, kind of because of that, because I was pretty loose with the timing of, of how long things would take. And in the moment, I might get caught up, and like I am right now, and talk and talk and talk. But, um, but now, I, I've moved, you know, in the recent, like in the last two years, I've manuscript uh, almost exclusively my sermons that I've preached, and I've done almost one or... Uh, maybe two full run-throughs, but even there's been a couple times where I haven't had time to run through my sermon more than once after I wrote it. And, uh, and so there's writing and revisioning going on in that, but I'm actually reading my sermon, uh, standing there reading it, which just seems like anathema to me, um, especially when I was younger. I would have just said a preacher who read his sermon um, was, was not, you know, fully present with the congregation. Uh, so I'm kind of in a transitional time, I'm sure, where I'm, I'm doing both writing, fully manuscripting, and learning to kind of memorize slash uh, preach to the, the church with a manuscript. But um, I've gotten my sermons down from 50 minutes to 25, so that's that was a huge transformation, I think. Um, so this reflect with me a little bit on your preaching. What's changed? It doesn't have to be as specific as those examples in, in mind, but just think back to when you kind of early in your preaching time to now, what's the most significant thing you would identify as changed um, in your preaching? Right. Yeah, so for me, uh, the first preaching that I did, I used to, uh, I was working here in town and I would drive over to Toledo, Oregon, a small congregation near the coast, and uh, I preached over there for about a year and a half. Uh, went for one Sunday and they said, well, you want to come back next week? Okay, and turned into a year and a half, essentially, wow. of driving. Reality was I had a job and, uh, and was also, you know, leading a Bible study on campus and through that, sometimes the sermon was basically a spin of the college Bible study. Uh, I remember a great insight to Colossians chapter 2 and 3 occurred during Saturday Night Live, which got preached the next morning. So I guess, I guess one of the things that I would say is that I'm much more intentional than I was then uh, because of the fact that now it's kind of my full-time thing. And I suppose maybe that leads me to say sometimes when we're full-time in ministry it's like, oh man. But perhaps there's also a dimension in which uh, we have a unique privilege to spend time with God and in His Word that doesn't come to every person. So I would say much more intentional. Yeah, I think that, and in those days it tended to be outline-ish. Now I write a full manuscript, but unlike what you're talking about, I have tried to become increasingly divorced mm -hmm. from the page in the sense that preaching is a very live experience. It's a very in-the-moment kind of an experience. I think that that helps people uh, be in tune with you, sometimes to a fault. I'm observant of what's going on, and I'll speak back to people. Not bad things, but just kind of you know, kind of the interaction. Those who are asleep in the Lord, wake up! Yeah, that's right, that's right. And I suppose you know this is really difficult for me, but I've tried to become increasingly less worried about what people think of my preaching. Not in the sense you know to be you know goof or foolish about it doesn't matter, but the aspect of not to be so dependent upon public praise. That is, I continue to grow in that, and that's my desire to continue to grow in that. 
classic. Yeah, I don't know if, if uh, I would describe it like a, an evolution in my preaching. I mean, I think I was a, uh, I still prefer myself, I think, to hear uh, a three point outline. Mm-hmm. You know, like this Rudy Moore, we used to tell that joke about good preaching is like the fat man going through the barbed wire fence, just three more points and I'll be through. But <laughs> All right, he said it this time. I didn't say it. See where I learned it. Okay. Okay, well, anyway. For all the audience. I heard from Rudy. Heard that. Rudy. But uh, anyway, the, um, but I do think, you know, um, uh, probably for myself, I've tried to um, embrace more emotion, um, like I said before, unless uh, just everybody ought to get it because this is the rational argument and more stories and more emotion and moving and then most recently I had a experience of uh, last minute substitution uh, church rep right now and uh, it's a new pastor preacher and so I've heard him for several weeks and he has a kind of a formula for the sermons at least so far and the ending especially is kind of um, um, exhortation-like and invites people, you know, maybe this is you if you're sitting here feeling this way. He's sort of helping people find their application and inviting. It's very invitation-like. Um, and uh, uh, and so I wanted to honor that. For the first, he asked me to, on Saturday night, because he lost his voice that day, <laughs> if I could be ready to go the next day so he sent me his manuscript and I, I never used to be a fan of manuscripts but in that moment I was very much <laughs> in love with the, the manuscript um, I had to change some things to make it my own I couldn't tell his story and so forth but I had to sort of put my own things in there but that ending part uh, I pretty much read and that, that was a really kind of new experience for me and uh, so that I Actually, I preached last Sunday, on, which was on purpose, on schedule. Like, I had that for mm-hmm. weeks. I knew what my text was. Um, but I had that same kind of ending, and I wrote it out. Mm-hmm. And I used kind of loose notes for the rest of it, but I had that ending part written out. Uh, and uh, because I don't naturally do that very well, uh, but, uh, but I liked reading his version of it. And, uh, and so I did follow that same kind of pattern. So I don't know if, if that represents an evolution, but I know for me the uh, embracing more of a uh, more emotion and to move people to action is probably the change for me. You didn't have to close their eyes and raise their hand. And Not yet. I've okay. gone there yet. All right. All right. <laughs> Maybe next curious. time. Just curious. I see you. I see you. No, okay. Sorry. That's good. <laughs> you can always count on your son to yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I play in the more spiritual <laughs> realm. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's real handy that you can identify people's salvation by the way they move during that quiet time. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's good. That's good. That's right. That's right. That's exciting. <clears throat> uh, I, I don't know about a specific uh, evolution. Um, I, I think of uh, one of the first times as a kid, I remember my dad on Sunday nights would he was intentional about having me get up and lead things. So I would lead songs, um, and I would watch the other guys. 
and they would read scripture and then they would talk about it. And I was like, I want to be like them. So then I would pick a scripture and I would read it and then I would just kind of talk about it. Whatever, whatever I got out of a scripture, that would be uh, what I would share. And that's what I did uh, as a kid. My first sermon um, out, out of college uh, actually was the minister at Port Orchard, Washington, Melvin Bird. He invited me over for lunch one Sunday. And after you would eat lunch together, he would go sit on his chair and kick back and take a nap while everybody else hung out in the room. And he kicked back in his chair, and then he leaned up, and he's like, oh, yeah, Jason, I got a question. You want to preach next Sunday? I was like, uh, sure. He goes, all right. Then kicks back, goes to sleep. Uh, and so it was like, I, I have no, at this point, experience, never done it before, no training, nothing. It's like, just go for it. And so it's, it begins with what is a message that impacts me that I want to share with other people. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the beginning of it. Uh, and I think it's continued in that way. The only thing that I think has changed is that it used to be a topic where I would say, okay, what's this topic? And then I'll go find a whole bunch of verses that mm-hmm. support my topic. Uh, and I was talking to my sister one time, and she <clears throat> described that as scripture calling. So just call out a bunch of scriptures as you're preaching. And how that didn't work because you can't engage in each one. And so I spend a lot less time jumping to different scriptures and really engage in that that one text, possibly grab another text, but if I do, I'm going to engage the context of that um, as well. So that's kind of been a, a transition that I've done to be more focused on one text. Awesome. Okay, so we take a, a break here for just a second as I give the instructions for uh, the rapid round. As I mentioned in the opening part of the podcast, uh, we went around the table then and shared um, different ideas in one minute. So uh, 20 ideas in 20 minutes, essentially, is uh, the rest of the podcast. And it was a great opportunity, great fun exercise. And so there was a countdown on my phone. And then when we did the countdown, I'd either make a noise like a clap or a snap or I would just say, okay, time's up or something like that. And uh, it was it was lots of fun. So I uh, hope you enjoy these twenty ideas of preaching. And blam, here we go, Greg. Live a life that earns a hearing. I mean, it really does matter what you do during the week because more people are aware of that than you recognize. The hospital visits, the interactions, the emails have a direct impact on how people view the messenger. And if people don't have respect for you as a man of God, they have no respect. It doesn't matter what you say. And I think some pretty good examples of that are Jesus and Paul. And uh, I think, you know, they probably did it, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, tell one, one example. You had emails. You had hospital visits. Like, what does your week look like? You got like 20 more seconds. So Okay, so in the process of the week, I'm going to do some intentional FaceTime with Jason for some mentoring. Uh, more often than not, there's some counseling that goes on, probably more than I wish I did. Mm-hmm. I like to do face-to-face evangelism, and I think that people, you don't have to tell people. If you're smart in the way that you preach, they will understand that you've been serving the Lord in various ways during the week. Bing! All right. um, well, uh, this idea is to have a Monday uh, debrief and planning meeting with trusted experienced voices in your church that hear you preach. So I'm part of, the, of a group right now for 
uh, young pastor. He's about ten years ahead of you. Yeah. Um, and there's he's invited uh, four of us that are all older than him. And on Monday we spend a few minutes, first few minutes. Um, we can all meet on Monday for coffee, so that's what, and we spend the first few minutes giving him feedback, what we really like, what we maybe opportunity missed or something from the Sunday sermon just preached. And then uh, we have the, we know the text, so we come armed, ready to just sort of rapid fire, tell him a bunch of things we think about that text. All right, one of the things that I think about is finding your sweet time. Uh, is is your sweet time in the morning to do your study, and then uh, like Greg was talking about in the afternoons you can go visit with people. Uh, whatever that sweet time is, find that sweet time, engage in that uh, with your sermon development, your study, and putting all that together. What's your sweet time? So my sweet time is in the morning. I love the mornings. I love getting in before working with college students. I get in uh, early in the morning, and then I get to spend time doing my study and my prep and all of that, and then when the college students come in, then I can engage with them and counsel and mentor. So the, the we plane has disappeared from your sweet time in the morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, just kidding. Um, yeah, no, I, I think mornings have developed because my wife gets up. <laughs> I was not a morning person before. Yeah. Um, I love mornings. All right, my, my turn. I didn't do a song effect for my turn, but... Um, Let's see, I've got a book, Henry Nowen's In the Name of Jesus, Reflections on Christian Leadership. And in some ways, like I I found that uh, finding someone like a Henry Nowen or a C.S. Lewis or some of these people that they actually like just speak on their own. And and so my uh, sermon prep has become to be a little bit immersed in some of these writers and, and maybe it's... Uh, I have a bent towards people like Henry Nowen and spiritual kind of writers um, that are going to inform it so that when I'm preaching, uh, I can grab kind of out of the pantry a quote, a reference to them. And so um, there's several in his book, um, In the Name of Jesus, about Jesus's uh, temptations that have been really, really impactful for me. We were talking about humility earlier. I have a bunch of quotes from this on humility. All right, go. So, watch out. Don't get into that weekly. What am I going to preach about this week? I want God and Scripture to set my agenda. I don't want the current church annoyance or my current itch to set that. And so, I, I, I prayerfully plan ahead. Uh, the Spirit knows what the church needs. And a lot of my series begin in my own quiet time reflection. I'm just finishing a Roman series that came out of that. Right now, I'm doing quiet time in John. And uh, I intentionally build... Build, build my schedule. I think about holidays, think about you know school terms because it is kind of a college church. But God sets the agenda. Uh, and in some ways, you know, I, I buy the Fred Craddock idea that you're the spokesman of the church's mindset. So I don't sound like Amos every week. There's sometimes where it's like, I don't, I don't see how controversial can I be because I think that's uh, counterproductive. And if that's your primary aim, watch out. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so maybe I'm picking up on the Craddock thing about being the church's voice. So a lot of times we spend uh, a lot of effort in church leadership coming up with a mission, vision statement, you know, some uh, key things like that. Um, and then we don't use them. 
So, but in preaching, there's a, an opportunity uh, to, to find those concepts. Why not use those words? Why not call people's attention to it? Um, like in our current church situation, it's uh, a, we're building God's kingdom through Jesus Christ, one person after another. And we do that by making disciples who know Jesus, grow in Jesus, and go and tell. And so when we got to preach the story about the man who was, uh, had all the demons cast out and he wanted to follow Jesus, Jesus said, go and tell. Um, that's a great opportunity to remind people that's what we're about here. Moving on. It's good. <laughs> going fast. Uh, let's see. I would say that... Um, this is a quick and easy one. Uh, how are you engaging in media? Uh, mm. I, I know recently, uh, definitely not Greg. Greg does a really good job with this, but I know recently uh, seeing a, a sermon where a guy kept looking back and saying, is this stuff gonna work? And I don't know when this works. And, and, and really uh, made it a distracting thing. But to have media not just be, for instance, your PowerPoints, not just be a Word document, but to have, have them have pictures, have them engage um, and experience something through that. Uh, the students are learning that in college. We need to be learning that and engaging that in um, in our sermons. So, yeah, no, good PowerPoints. Yeah, it's good. And there's presentation <laughs> software out there like Proclaim that I highly recommend to churches. Yeah. All right, uh, I'm on. Let's see. I have another book. I'll go with my second book. Um, and Greg has brought to my attention some things about this book that's fun and. Um, but uh, Eugene Lowry's The Homiletical Plot, and um, I read it uh, on the recommendation of Milton Jones. We were walking through a bookstore in Eugene, and I was like, what, what would you recommend for somebody learning to preach? And he pulled like four books off. It took me two and a half years to get to this book, but it's a very short book. Um, but he basically says that we've told people uh, what the sermon is too soon. And that there actually should be kind of a little bit of a development of a plot. The sermon is a narrative. And, um, and so we shouldn't give away what it is at the beginning. And, and as I think about that, I, I was just kind of blown away because I always titled my sermons that way. Like, here it is. That's the point. And you could just walk away with the title and that's it. But um, he challenged me on that. Person once said to me, Greg, you're a blue collar preacher. I wasn't sure what to make of that. It seemed like an odd statement since this is a university town. But as I thought about it, I realized what he meant was that week in, week out, your sermons are predictably good. It's not like home run one week and then three dogs. And there's a reason I think it works that way is that I work hard at living in the scripture, grabbing my own insights, reading the commentary, writing intentionally, putting together a manuscript, preaching through it, and I'm convinced that that disciplined approach produces a much more even output week to week. And, and, but even more than that, you know, if I can say I missed the word, how dare I speak a word for God? Well, the only way that I can confidently do that is if I feel like I've really lived with him long enough to have conviction that, that what I'm saying is really what God wants said. The Spirit owns me mm. after the process. That's what I hope. Wow. Mm. That's good. Mm. Yeah, I think, so I uh, have a commitment uh, that I never want to preach without uh, sort of as directly as I can, uh, including the gospel. Whatever the text is, it may be a direct gospel type of story, 
uh, text, or it may be uh, feel like it's about something else in some way, but finding that moment uh, and not just relegating that to the end, like people know I'm closing because now I'm talking about the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, that he, he was buried and he rose again, according to the scriptures. Um, bringing that somehow. So this last week, uh, there was a, a point that we were, the, the text was really about Jesus interacting with Gentiles and not Jews. And uh, so I just mentioned that this sort of, he went there to get away um, and rest because his mission wasn't a medical mission. His mission was to go to the cross. And so it gave a chance to, to put the gospel in the middle of the story it wouldn't normally be. Okay, there yeah, we go. So one of the things I think about is, I tell this to our students all the time, it's not just about information. A sermon should not just be an information sermon where we're just going to tell them a bunch of information. you got to have information plus application to have transformation, life transformation, become a disciple. And so there has to be, within the sermon, there has to be application. And like we've talked about a little bit before, we need to be people uh, that are applying it to our life, and people get to see that in our life as well. So information plus application equals transformation. I like it. It's an equation. It's like you must have been an engineer or something. You know? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's college time. You gotta do the math. Huh? You gotta you gotta do, do the math. math. That's right. Yeah, transformation. And you know, so much of what we want to do is transformational preaching and stuff. Uh, but like you said, it's got to be got to be transformation of us. All right. Um, let's see. My uh, third one. I'm thinking um, to kind of go in the in the idea of uh, what. You talk about sweet spot in the morning of study. I I think that I can do a sermon in five minutes. I can come up with a text and say, reach in the back and go, man, this is it. You know, those times where you go up in front and you have that last minute, I got to do the communion thought or whatever it is. And I can come up with something really, really good on the spot from the pantry of, of what I've studied, what I've been dwelling in and everything. But when I have to sit down and try and write a sermon and I really want to be attuned to the Spirit, I need to do some preparation on just kind of my heart like, uh, and my focus because sometimes I can spend too much time writing and nothing comes out. So running is my focus. It like helps me prep uh, to be focused, to sit down at the laptop, to sit down with my Bible and... Whoa. Okay, that scared me. Uh, long time ago, I decided, how dare you preach or teach a class without praying? How dare you? That was that was kind of a thing that God laid on me. Um, somebody once asked me, how do you preach to a college congregation? Mm-hmm. Preach to the heart. Uh, I've been in the same place for 36 plus years. It demands that I'm attuned to cultural change. It demands that I'm attuned to what's going on in the lives of people around me. Uh, and I think that really helps me because one of my favorite comments was from a visitor. She came here for several weeks and she said, I like listening to your sermons because I can understand you. Mm. And I think part of the art of preaching is making sometimes incredibly concept, uh, complex concepts digestible by people uh, without being simple-minded. Yeah, the people around us increasingly don't know the Bible. I live in Oregon. They don't know the Bible, but does that mean they're dummies and we talk down to them? Mm. I think that's important to respect. So I think uh, one of the things that's helped me um, be more effective uh, in the last few years is uh, something I'm 
I should have learned a long time ago from Dean Catlett. He just passed away and preached for years and years. Um, it, he told me that he preached from manuscript, but he wrote, uh, he had a single point or a trigger phrase that the whole lesson, the whole lesson rested on. And he would write that phrase in big letters at the top of every page. Mm. So as he flipped through the pages and was preaching his sermon, if he ever found himself kind of, I don't know where I am or I'm looping or I'm a little bit lost, he would just say that phrase, <laughs> just say that phrase. And so uh, this last weekend, my phrase was kingdom conversation. So it doesn't have to give the plot away, but it, what does that mean, kingdom conversation? But that was my phrase. That's awesome. <clears throat> uh, I think one that I've learned recently that is a very good aspect of preaching is giving people time to reflect during the sermon. Mm. So not just uh, not just waiting until after you get done, you know, pack with information, then you get done, and then let them reflect on it somehow at some later time. But during the sermon, let them set, let them reflect, let them engage it in their life. Yeah. Um, so, what is, give give me an example of a reflection time, like well, in your like, uh, do you pause and pray? Do you pause and silent? You're you're, you're you're going to ask a question and then you're going to let them reflect on it. So sometimes you'll have uh, you know have them pull out the bulletin and say write a note in there or write something that is impacting you or engaging with you. Making that pause. That's good. That's good. I like that. Um, so, I mean, I think about uh, exercise because I did this marathon the other day, and I. Uh, so, some of the things that I've actually seen really help my preaching recently and help me be critical as I listen to other preachers and learn more from them and their style is actually listening to sermons of other preachers. Um, so I think I thought that I had it all figured out, and I'm pretty, uh, pretty confident, pretty self-confident. Probably have a really big ego, as these three guys can say um, and comment more on. But I learned so much. So my favorite podcast, my favorite preacher is John Ortberg. Um, he's not everybody's cup of tea, but uh, Menlo Park, and I listen to his podcast fairly frequently. And then I listen to other podcasts by theologians and others. But um, listening to other preachers preach helps me learn about preaching. And so I'll play off that one. You know, I've been preaching for over 40 years now, and I always want to improve. One of the things that I've done for a long time is if I go to some kind of like Pepperdine lectureship or something where there's a keynote speaker, upper right corner is a box that I write in my notes, and I watch for things like, what helps people engage? What helps people stay engaged? How does this person structure a sermon? What kinds of forms and things do they, do they use? And I watch and I listen. I've picked up a few things. Sometimes I do some black preacher stuff. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. I do. I don't try to imitate people, but I observe what seems to keep people engaged and, and, and so on. And I try to make the most of that. Okay, yeah. Greg, you got to tell me. Does circle amen back to you, though? I have one fellow yeah, who does very faithfully. Oh, good, good. Uh, when, you, when you do that, though, don't, be, get, don't get in the comparison thing. Right, where, oh, I'm not just like him. Don't get in the comparison thing. Reality is, for those of us who preach week in, week out, there are 10 billion things that we're doing in addition to preaching. Mm -hmm. If I was only preaching, I've, I've observed this lately. If, if all I'm doing is preaching and not seeing people, the sermons are better. But am I fulfilling all my ministry? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, so similar to that learning from 
what other people do. Uh, I've tried to become more conscious of restarting the attention clock. Hmm. So when I'm speaking, there's like every, uh, so that every study you read has, gives a different number, you know. I think he already lost me now, but okay. exactly. <laughs> now, are we able to one minute is one minute? Yeah, long. one minute maybe too long. Span, but, but John Maxwell has a kind of a way he puts uh, his talks together. He can speak for 45 minutes and you pay attention. And that's because you realize he never goes more than about two minutes, three minutes on any one thing. And then he shifts to a different mode. Like now it's a story or now I'm in your face or now I'm walking around or now I have a quote. That's good. That's good. I like that. So I think uh, another one is a book called Building a Discipling Culture by Mike Breen. And the reason that I like this is the images. We live in such an image-based culture. And I talked about PowerPoint before, but uh, thinking about all these different images that will engage it in people's minds so that they can take it uh, with them. One of them I think of specifically is a triangle. Information is on the top. If we're just about information, we want people to take that and innovate it. Uh, but very few people can do that. What they need is another leg of the triangle, which is imitation. So we give them information, we imitate it, we model it, um, and then and the people that innovate model it as well, and we bring people along with us that then leads to um, innovation and it becoming part of their lives as they're transformed disciples. Okay, and you, yeah, you're just like, you're, or, you're organized on another level, like my... That's I want to good. imitate, I want to imitate yeah, you, that. You can write a book, you know, like <laughs> I when I do all these things. That's good. That's good. Geometry with Jesus. Geometry with Jesus. <laughs> oh my so goodness. Golden. That's good. Golden. That's good. Um, and I'm building my own. I'm, I'm working on building more. That's good. It. That's good. Uh, yeah, because you got your own little 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 kids um, that are not so little anymore. Man, that's 10 years. Uh, so as I think about. And they, uh, are dis- and they are kids who have the faith. You need to know that because that adds a dimensional credibility absolutely. to Jason. That's really crucial. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one of the reasons that I, I love getting to know um, how he's how he's doing that and how he's being faithful that way. My uh, last one for me, um, I, I guess I'm just thinking about uh, listening to yourself preach was a huge shift. Um, I started videoing myself and, uh, and I'll be honest that I, I actually had a better, I did a better job of not distracting people from the message when I did that manuscript move to where I wasn't walking around as much, where I became less of a distraction to the message. And I focused on the content and I wrote it out and I was more intentional about the content than my presentation and who I was on stage. And, uh, and I learned that through watching myself in video and, and listening to myself. Um, all right, we're going to do rapid fire. So you got like about 15, 20 seconds for any of the ideas we didn't get to that you want to share. So um, we're just going to just go. So one idea, Greg, what did you not get to? You can't expand on it. You just got to share it in five seconds or 10 seconds. Let God be your primary guide, your primary critic, and your primary solace, not people. Nice. Ask questions. Ask questions when you speak. Ask more questions. Okay. Uh, another book that's out there, Determining the Form uh, by Wesley Allen. Okay. That's good. Uh, I didn't come with any more, so I don't have any more. Great. <laughs> it's more what? images. Oh, you want more? What? Um, 
You know, I, uh, talking in terms of intentionality, go back to that idea that a lot of us learned at some point in time in a class to write the focus sentence and the function sentence, right? Mm -hmm. I'm preaching through Romans right now and this incredibly complex stuff. And yet, and so when it's so complex like that, I intentionally say, here's the one sentence that tells me what all these bazillion verses are trying to communicate, and here's the one outcome I want to see in the listeners. Mm -hmm. I've gone back awesome. to it. Um, yeah, just uh, maybe it's already been said some, but model letting God speak to me first from the text. So if I'm not affected by the text, then what am I doing trying to have the text affect other people? That's good. Jason. Uh, don't be afraid to engage the heavy ethical things that are out there. Mm. Uh, I think of... Um, things that happen with beginning of life and end of life and pornography and the major ethical dilemmas that are out there. Don't be afraid to engage those. And how does Scripture and the Word of God speak into those? That's good. Just don't be political. Well, I don't know how you do that. But anyway. <laughs> that's, that's impossible. Uh, but uh, I did think of one, and so this will be my final one again, my last final one. But... Um, Model good hermeneutics, that's uh, master's language, but model good interpretation for people. Um, and uh, so whatever that means to you, but for me, it, it has very specific meaning, like well, the way that we engage with the text, the context, the way that we're uh, approaching how it applies, how it's being applied to our, our lives. So model good interpretive work as a preacher. All right, you get, you get to choose one last thing on your paper, 15 seconds or so on each one. But. Read a lot of Shakespeare before I began preaching and marveled at how he could speak to three different audiences at the same time. I'm in a multi-age, multicultural church. I have Chinese men who come. They've never been to church before. I have uh, teens. I have a 75-year-old elder who knows scripture and life incredibly well. At the very best, a sermon touches all three people. Mm -hmm. It's not always easy to get a morsel in for everybody, but at least thinking about the fact that this is not a unilateral 45-year-old male, female, right? That the awareness that I speak to a diversity of ages and diversity of cultures every Sunday helps me uh, broaden my, my, uh, my vision for what I should talk about, how to talk about it. All of a sudden, when you're talking about idols, you're talking about the real physical objects. And you wouldn't think about that unless you stop and say, oh, these people from India. Mm -hmm. So see if you can preach a, ser a sermon from, see if you can preach a sermon like Shakespeare writes. There you go. So I think the, the more, uh, again, sometimes we use the modern translation to, to do this, but um, even if you have modern translation, a lot of times you take the Old Testament text it's really hard for people to connect with the language, the verbiage. And I remember uh, Dr. Mars would he would read it, and then he would give you the today's his today's vernacular. It's like when I talk to my kids or when I talk to somebody else, I say this. Um, and I think that that's a, been a challenge for me to to uh, do enough of that so that people connect, but not so much that the actual scripture fades away and people remember the funny way I said it or something. But I think putting it in today's speak is helpful for lots of people um, for whom studying an ancient book isn't their, 
or things that they're going to So when you were doing the racial slur about Jesus called her a dog, did you do that? Um, I did. I said, actually, because I said, it, for me, it's you like Jesus. You didn't use a cuss word, though. No, I didn't. Okay. Um, but Because uh, <clears throat> no, I just can't imagine you couldn't, doing that. Couldn't, but. couldn't go there. Um, <laughs> Especially with your mom and <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, uh, that's right. <laughs> She's not going to be. She would have fainted or something. But um, but I I did say that um, it it's like Jesus has gone to a place uh, to rest and he's being bothered by all these people and so he's saying to this lady, uh, look, I'm on a mission and it's not you, not yet, anyway. Yeah. And she said, well, I don't need your whole mission. I just need like a minute. That's all I'm looking for. So I tried to put it in that kind of terms for people. The T T N L V today's Larry version or something. I don't know. Um, okay. <laughs> Swick gets the last word. So he's been silent over here while we've been. Oh, yeah, bring it, bring it, tr- bring it home and rescue us. From, <laughs> yeah, from bring ourselves. something really good. All right, I think this would be a good last word. Uh, thinking of the semicircle of work and rest. Uh, don't spend so much time working putting together a sermon, engaging in ministry, that you forget about your family and forget about your own personal connection to God. So make sure that you prune and take out things out of your life so that you can spend time with God, spend time with your family, because you want your family to become men and women of faith, uh, and you also want to be a great man of God as well. And that Amen. is a wrap. We're good. Thanks for tuning in to Value Add. For more great conversations and insights, visit valueaddconversations.com.